The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the RPA family would like to wish you and your loved ones a very happy and safe holiday season. Oh yeah, we love you. Enjoy the show. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Ladies and gentlemen, Real Paranormal Activity is proud to present Terry's Mysterious Moments. Welcome to Season 2 of Terry's Mysterious Moments. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you find something interesting. Or maybe something spooky. Or maybe something just... Mysterious. Good evening, everybody. This is Terry from Texas with another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments, Part 3 of Haunted Washington, D.C. We've told some stories about buildings that are located in Washington, D.C., the Capitol, the White House, other big important places that have haunting stories. We've got a few more to go through. Let's get on with it. One of the most important buildings in the DuPont Circle neighborhood is the Walsh Mansion, now the Embassy of Indonesia. It's located on Massachusetts Avenue Northwest. Thomas J. Walsh had immigrated penniless from Ireland to the United States in 1869, then over the next quarter century built up a small fortune as a carpenter, miner, and hotel manager. His first daughter died in infancy. But his daughter Evelyn, born in 1886, and son Vincent, born in 1888, both survived. He lost nearly all of his life savings in the Panic of 1893. The family moved to Ure, Colorado in 1896, where Walsh bought the Camp Bird Mine, which was thought to have been worked out 
Luckily, he struck a massive vein of gold and silver. Now that he's a multimillionaire, Thomas Walsh moved his family to Washington, D.C. in 1898. After spending 1899 and 1900 in Paris, France, the Walshes returned to Washington, where Thomas Walsh commenced the construction of a mansion on Massachusetts Avenue Northwest. The Walsh Mansion, completed in 1903, cost $835,000, and it was the most expensive residence in the city at the time. It had 60 rooms, that's six zero, a theater, a ballroom, a French salon, a grand staircase, and two million dollars in furnishings, which took several years to purchase and install. Evelyn Walsh married Edward Beagle Ned McLean, the publishing heir whose family owned the Washington Post in 1908, and after her father's death in 1910, lived in the Walsh mansion. In 1910, Ned McLean bought the allegedly cursed Hope Diamond for his wife for $180,000, although the purchase was not formalized until February of 1911 and was not completed until after a lawsuit settled out of court in 1912. Doesn't say what the lawsuit was about. Evelyn Walsh then died on April 26 of 1947. To cover Evelyn's significant debts, the Walsh Mansion was sold in 1952 to the government of Indonesia for use as an embassy. But according to embassy staff Evelyn Walsh McLean never vacated the home. Rather, her spirit has been seen several times gliding down the mansion's grand central staircase and a naked lady's spectral form has also been seen from time to time in the mansion, but nobody knows who she is. Can't identify her by her clothing. A second noted house in the DuPont Circle neighborhood, which is claimed to be haunted, is the Woodrow Wilson House. Woodrow Wilson was elected to President of the United States in 1912, was re-elected in 1916, promising to keep the nation out of war, then led the nation through World War I and left office in 1921. At 2 a.m. on September 26, 1919, while traveling to Wichita, Kansas, on a nationwide speaking tour to pressure the Senate into ratifying the Treaty of Versailles, Wilson collapsed and after canceling the rest of his speaking tour, was rushed back to the Capitol by train. His condition worsened on the journey and upon arriving at the White House on October 2nd, the President suffered a life-threatening stroke that left him permanently paralyzed on his left side and blind in the left eye. Although the President lived, he was confined to bed for two months, seen only by his wife or a few close associates and his doctors. From December 1919 to April 1920, Wilson required a wheelchair. He attended his first cabinet meeting in April of 1920, but for the rest of the year, his mind continued to wander. His memory was marred and he tired easily. By March of 1921, when he left office, Wilson was able to walk short distances with the use of a cane and with the valet close at hand. The extent of Wilson's disability was kept from the public until after his death on February 3, 1924. President and Mrs. Wilson purchased a large home to which a number of modifications were made, including the addition of an elevator. Wilson received few guests 
in his last years and died in his third floor bedroom on February 3rd 1924. His wife, Edith Bowling Galt Wilson, lived in the home until her death on December 28, 1961, and willed the home to the National Trust for Historic Preservation to be made into a museum honoring her husband. In the decades since her death, staff and visitors at the Woodrow Wilson House claimed to have seen the President's ghost sitting in his rocking chair or heard the shuffling of a man walking with the cane and heard a man sob. General Edward Braddock left Observatory Hill in Georgetown in 1755 on an expedition to capture the French Fort Duquesne during the French and Indian War. Braddock's expedition was surprised on July 9th in the vicinity of present-day Braddock, Pennsylvania in what is now known as the Battle of the Monongahela. Nearly 900 of Braddock's 1,300 men were killed or wounded, and Braddock himself was killed. Since before the American Civil War, American witnesses say that on the anniversary of Braddock's departure, they can hear shouted military orders, horses' hooves on cobblestones, the sound of men marching and the sound of metal clanking against metal. The sounds can be heard near the old Long Bridge or near the Georgetown Bluffs overlooking the Potomac River. Halcyon House is a 30,000 square foot mansion originally built in 1787 by Benjamin Stoddard, the first Secretary of the Navy. Halcyon House was owned by several individuals in the 19th century and is alleged to have served as part of the Underground Railroad. The home was sold in 1900 to Albert Clemens, a nephew of Mark Twain. The original structure was heavily altered over the next 38 years. Clements believed that perpetually rebuilding the house would extend his life. That sounds somewhat familiar. Winchester Mystery House, anyone? The coach house was adjoined to the building. Apartments were added to the north face and rear, and rooms built within rooms, hallways added and then walled off, and even a small crypt was added to one room. Clements died in 1938. Halcyon House is allegedly haunted by the spirits of numerous runaway slaves who died there during their escape to freedom and whose moans and cries can be heard in the basement. Others claim that the ghost of Benjamin Stoddard has been seen, heard, walking through the house, sitting in a chair, or whispering unintelligibly. The spirit of a woman has also been spotted in an upstairs window. A six-year-old visitor claimed that the woman frequently woke him at night by rearranging his covers. Two residents say they have experienced levitation during the night with their bodies being reversed so that their feet were on the pillow. Unnamed residents have told about lights mysteriously going out and sounds in the attic. The old stone house was built in 1765 by Christopher and Rachel Lehman. The house was sold in 1767 to a wealthy widow, Cassandra Chu, who constructed a kitchen in the rear in 1767 and a second floor between 1767 and 1775, and a third floor in the 1790s. It remained in private hands for almost two centuries, used as a home and place of business until the federal government purchased it in 1953. An exceptionally large number of spirits inhabited this small house, so go the claims of residents and visitors. These include a woman in a brown dress standing near the fireplace, 
a heavyset woman standing on the staircase and also in the kitchen, a man with long blonde hair and wearing a blue jacket, a man wearing short pants and long stockings, and a woman in a rocking chair on the third floor, and a small boy who runs down the third floor hallway, a man dressed in colonial-era clothing standing in the master bedroom, a man dressed in colonial-era clothing seen on the second floor, a young girl with curly hair running up and down the staircase, an African-American boy, and a German-looking craftsman, and the laughter of invisible children can be heard, and the translucent images of women cooking in the kitchen have also been observed. The old stone house may also contain one of Washington's only malevolent spirits, nicknamed George, who has choked and pushed visitors, and whose presence often indicated by an extremely cold spot, leaves witnesses with an intense feeling of dread. The hauntings at the Old Stone House are so well known that they are mentioned in Sandy Wilson's short crime story, The Blonde in Black. Bridges in Georgetown may also be the site of ghostly activity. Two specters are said to haunt the site of the M Street Bridge. M Street Northwest was known on the Georgetown side as Bridge Street before the street renaming of 1895. In 1788, a wooden drawbridge was built over Rock Creek to connect Bridge Street with M Street Northwest in Washington. But the bridge collapsed during a rainstorm shortly after it was built, taking a stagecoach full of passengers with it. Federal Bridge a sturdier structure was built over Rock Creek in 1802. However, from the early 19th to the early 20th century, Georgetown residents claimed to see a silent stagecoach race down Bridge Street on starless nights and then disappear in the center of the new span. Another apparition said to haunt the bridge was that of a drummer boy who allegedly had been knocked off the bridge during the Revolutionary War or in the early 19th century after the bridge had been rebuilt by a gust of wind and who drowned in the creek. On quiet nights, witnesses claimed to hear soft drumming which got louder near the center of the span but disappeared once the spot where the boy drowned was reached. The image of a headless man whose origins are shrouded in mystery is said to sometimes haunt the Georgetown side of the K Street Northwest Bridge over Rock Creek as well. Got a lot of bridge ghosts. There's a place called the Omni Shoreham Hotel in Washington, D.C., and it has a spirit reportedly haunting it. Uh, the Shoreham Hotel is on Calvert Street Northwest. It was built in 1930 by local construction company owner Harry Braylove and designed by Waddy Butler Wood. The hotel's owners accepted Henry Doherty as a minority financial partner. Doherty and his family moved into an apartment, now Suite 870, in the hotel, along with her maid, Juliet Brown. A few months after the Dohertys moved into the apartment, their maid died in the night. A short time later, the Doherty's daughter, Helen, also died in the suite. The Dohertys moved out and the apartment remained unoccupied for almost 50 years. The apartment was renovated into a hotel suite, but guests and hotel staff began to tell stories of faint voices, cold breezes, doors slamming shut and opening of their own accord, 
and televisions and lights turning on and off by themselves. In Puerto Rico, we call ourselves Boricua. We are proud, passionate, and full of life. On our island, adventure finds you. Strangers aren't strangers for long. The size of the audience doesn't change the beauty of the music. And we celebrate every last ray of sun. Live Boricua. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Guests in adjoining suites would complain of noises coming from the closed and empty suite. Other occupants say furniture would be found out of place, and hotel staff said their housekeeping carts would move on their own. The Omni Shoreham Hotel has named the room the Ghost Suite. Todd Scartosi, an Omni Hotel's manager, stayed in the Ghost Suite with his family and observed a walk-in closet light turning on and off of its own accord. There are, are a few more stories regarding hauntings in the capital area. One of them regards a wounded Civil War soldier wandering through Statuary Hall. In 1862, the military briefly converted the Capitol building into a hospital for wounded Union soldiers. More than a thousand cots were placed in Statuary Hall before patients were removed later that year. Before the Civil War, Washington, D.C. was heavily fortified and many of the Union wounded were taken care of within the city. One place where supplies were stored and medical treatment administered was done was at the Capitol building. But poor surgical practices were the only medical option for wounded soldiers and infections were common. One soldier is known to have undergone excruciating pain late one night during a surgery to remove a bullet buried deep within the victim's chest. The soldier died on the operating table in the front of the Capitol Rotunda. It's said that if one listens late at night, the wailing of the soldier can be still be heard, and some have even claimed to have seen him wandering the hall in front of the Rotunda, still clothed in his Army uniform. On one occasion, an anonymous staffer in the 1970s recalled hearing a soft moaning drifting from, rotund from the rotunda as his member of Congress was being interviewed in Statuary Hall. The staffer left the interview to investigate and again heard the moaning wind out of the corner of his eye. He thought he saw a man in a navy blue uniform walk across the front entrance of the rotunda and disappear. Over the years, staffers have claimed they have seen the shadows of a soldier among the statues. There was a man that was hired to be supervisor over the way the buildings were being built in in Washington DC early on and his name was Henry Latrobe. Now Henry's, one of Henry's closest associates was a man named John Linthal who was 
called the clerk of the works during the construction of the Capitol under President Jefferson. During 1808, the Senate chamber, which originally was on the ground floor, was being moved to the second floor, and a chamber was being constructed on the floor below for the Supreme Court, now the old Supreme Court chamber. While the trove was in Philadelphia on business, Linthal continued to work on the vaulted ceilings in the Supreme Court chamber, hoping to complete the project before the return of his employer. On Friday, the 16th of September in 1808, he began to remove supports on the dome. Moments after the supports were removed, workers heard a frightening sound as the ceiling began to collapse. Workers dove through doorways and windows to avoid the falling debris. All escaped, except Linthal. An arch in the room collapsed and mortally injured him. Rumor has it that, as Linthal lay dying, he used his last breath to curse the Capitol building before ultimately expiring. Very few people know that when the Capitol was built, construction took place under rigorous and overwhelming conditions, such as high heat and deep snow. It has been rumored that when the foundation was being constructed from 1794 to 1800, a worker had taken shelter within the partially constructed foundation to take a quick nap. Unbeknownst to him, the foundations of the Capitol were laid around him as he slept, encasing him in a tomb of stone. His poor soul has been sealed up within the walls of the Capitol building, and at times, staffers and visitors can hear pounding and scratching from within walls as the poor worker's spirit frantically struggles to break free. In the 1850s, the Senate ordered bathtubs to be installed in the basement of the Capitol to provide senators with a means of refreshment from their demanding duties. Vice President at the time, Henry Wilson, was among those who frequented those tubs. He would often be seen rushing through the Capitol toward his office to prepare to preside over the Senate. Maintenance crew and police swear they saw Wilson running through the basement of the Capitol wrapped in a towel, rushing to his office on the evening of 22nd November, 1875. Vice President Wilson fell asleep while soaking in one of the basement tubs. After waking, he made his way to the Vice President's office, now S-214, where he was stricken with the terrible case of pneumonia. He died that night in his office. Staffers and guards have testified that the vice president's office is haunted by his spirit. They have sworn to have heard sounds of coughing and sneezing in the office and echoing in the halls. Others have sworn that they have smelled a quick, faint aroma of soap like that used in the basement bathtubs. Now, in researching, I found an alternate history for this story. Uh, it's not that different. Uh, the man does die, but it's how he dies. It says, soon after leaving the bath, he was struck by paralysis and carried to a bed in his vice presidential office, just off the Senate floor. Within a few days, he felt strong enough to receive visitors and seemed to be gaining strength. When he awoke in his Capitol office on November 22nd, he was informed that Senator Oris Ferry of Connecticut had died. 
Wilson lamented the passing of his generation, commenting, quote, that makes 83 dead with whom I have sat in the Senate, unquote. Shortly thereafter, he rolled over and quietly died at age 63. His body lay in state in the rotunda, and his funeral was conducted in the Senate chamber. The vice presidential chair arrayed in black crepe. The Senate chamber was occupied by the Senate from 1810 to 1859 before relocating to the new Senate wing. When the Senate was in the chamber, Senators Daniel Webster and Henry Clay, former Speaker of the House, gave many famous addresses, particularly surrounding the country's great debate regarding slavery and the future of the Union. These men are known as two of the greatest orators of the time. While neither of these men died in the old Senate chamber, there have been reported sightings of the ghosts of these congressmen standing in front of the now empty seats, moving and gesturing as if giving a speech. The current Speaker's Hall was once the location of the Library of Congress until the space was unable to contain all the books it was required to hold. The first building for the Library of Congress was completed in 1897, and during that time, this area of the Capitol served as the library. It was bustling with librarians carrying out their necessary tasks. While there are not accounts of deaths in this hall, echoes of books slamming closed and carts wheeling them around have been reported. Did you ever see the opening scene of Ghostbusters at the library? Yeah, it's something like that. It's no joke that staffers on Capitol Hill have noticed that statue movement is often occurring. What's even more eerie is the feeling late at night that staffers get from the statues, mostly in National Statuary Hall, watching them as they walk by. In the late 19th century, stories began to circulate that the statues came off their pedestals and danced on New Year's Eve. Supposedly, this has become a tradition, with one account testifying to have seen Robert E. Lee and Ulysses S. Grant shaking hands. Sure, many midnight security guards have sworn to have seen this occur. I must add that this story is met with some outright disbelief. These are not government buildings, but... You remember the movie The Exorcist took place in Washington? Or Georgetown, whichever? There's a place called the Exorcist House in Steps, and it's on Prospect Street Northwest in Washington, D.C., and it, it does call it in Georgetown. Georgetown's creepiest filming location was terrifying even before Linda Blair played a possessed teen. The steps are now called the Exorcist Steps, but used to be referred to as the Hitchcock Steps. These are the steps that the priest jumped out of the window and went down the steps. The Smithsonian Castle While the Smithsonian would like us to believe that the Smithsonian Castle is not actually haunted, we know better. For years there have been tales of ghosts walking the halls, including that of Smithsonian founder James Smithsonian, who is buried in the building. Okay, so we have to ask some questions. Just because somebody has a strange experience, maybe sees something strange or hears something strange or feels something odd, does that mean a place is haunted? 
It could just mean the place is creepy. But here's a for instance on things that are not what they seem when they're not at their best. A week or two ago, I took a picture in my bedroom at night just using the light off of my computer monitor and I want to say my TV, but I'm not sure. It's just a blue light in the room. And I held my camera up and took a picture over here toward where my computer and my uh, studio type area is set up. Well, I didn't look at it until a couple of days ago. And I was looking at the picture and in the corner there looks like something that's bubble-headed or human-headed. I couldn't figure out what it was because I, I wasn't in my room and I couldn't just walk in here and look. And I put the picture on Facebook and said, do you see anything? Well, of course, they asked what I asked. I said, I realize I'm the one that always pokes, hole in, pokes holes in these things, but do you see anything in this picture? And they asked, well, what are we looking for? I said, look toward the center of the picture, just a little bit down from the left of the center, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And they did. One lady said, yes, I see something. And another guy said, I see a lady's face in that image, in that space. I said, well, I have had an experience of seeing a woman in this bedroom, a ghostly woman. And somebody else confirmed that they'd seen the face of a woman. Well, I came back in here and I looked and I took a picture of what's up on the corner of the wall. It's a, a like a bridal or, or a, a bridesmaid's uh, thing that goes around the head. It's got flowers on it and streamers coming off of it. Well, it's hanging up on the wall with the streamers at the bottom of it. But in the distance, in the darkness, it looks like a balloon shape. So I put it back on there with the, the new picture. I said, okay, I found out what was causing it, and it's not paranormal. It's just a little abnormal. So could be that hauntings are simply things that we see, seeing things that we think we see, things that we think we hear or feel. I don't know. I've had some things that would just really scroll your nerd and have things that would turn you white out of sheer fright. So I can go either way on the story. Uh, it's just, no, that's normal, but it just looks weird. Or that's weird, and it does look abnormal. So anyway, thus ends my three-part series of Haunted Washington, D.C. I hope you've enjoyed it. Remember that on Mondays we have Aaron Hunter with Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. On Tuesdays we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show. On Wednesdays there will be me with Terry's Mysterious Moments. And for a while, Patrick Sean Jones is going to be on hiatus as he seeks elected office in his hometown. So he won't be doing shows for a while. But we do have a new show. And it's going to be coming on the first Saturday of every month. It's a video show. They do investigations. They're going to produce their own shows on Saturdays. And they may have some shorter clips sometime later in the month. It's going to be called Buried Secrets Paranormal. And we want to welcome them to the group, to the family, to the show. And we want to invite you to also 
give them a listen or give them a watch. See what you think about it. Remember, you can get the RPA app from your uh, app store, either on Apple or Android. And remember now, and remember now that RPA, all of the shows are going to be available on Pandora. So look it up, see what you can find. Anyway, that's all I've got for this week, and I want to thank you for listening and thank you for being here. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a great week. Bye bye.